as you're seated this morning, we're going to ask the question, are you still sitting at the table that Jesus overturned? Are you still sitting at those tables? Matthew 21, verse 12. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. But you have made it a den of thieves. Jesus was just a little upset that day. This scripture comes right after he had just come in on the donkey. He had just rode in and they had praised him and called him Hosanna, put down their coats and all this. And it's the time of Passover. And at Passover, the Jews, the Israelites, they came from everywhere, wherever they were. So they needed money changers at the temple because they had their local currency and they needed to change it into temple currency. And some of them traveled miles and miles and miles to get there. So it was very difficult to bring an animal and keep it unblemished because it would be very easy to bruise a lamb or something like that on the way. You know how easy it is to stumble and bruise ourselves? It was just as easy on that. So they needed people selling animals for sacrifice. So these people had every right to be there. And the temple was crowded. I mean, if you can remember what it was like going to Walmart before COVID on Black Friday, Oh yeah. Then add the stench of animals being sacrificed and everything else that an animal does to that crowded place. Yet Jesus was upset. He said, you made a den of thieves. Why was he so angry? Why was he so upset? I mean, they were providing just what the people needed. But yet, they would cheapen it. I mean, here's these sacrifices. You're making an animal sacrifice unto God. All the believers, thank God we don't have to do that anymore. Because if we had to sacrifice animals every Sunday, this place would be a mess. But instead, your sacrifice now becomes your financial sacrifice. Because see, the majority of people sitting in churches believe the money is actually theirs. It's actually your money. Wrong. God gave it to you. It's his. He demands a tithe of 10%. He doesn't ask for it. He doesn't suggest it. He tells you that's what it's to be, of your increase. And then on top of that, he wants an offering of love, an offering of whatever you want. 
So here we have these people that are changing money. And rather than give the Israelites a fair trade amount, they kind of ripped them off a little bit. Just made a little extra money. I remember when I would travel into Costa Rica years ago, the first thing is the minute you walked out of the airport, the money changers were everywhere. They wanted to change your US dollars into the colognes. And some would give you X amount, and some would give you X amount more. So you had to know who you were dealing with. It's the same here. But yet, the business people were not doing it fairly. They had taken it, and they had changed something that was supposed to be holy and divine. And they turned it into a commercial enterprise. So Jesus got upset. I mean, in today's church, you have God's people that write books. I mean, there's enough Christian books out there on every subject you can think of. They have podcasts. They make music. There's Bible studies. All these things are provided for you to learn and to grow deeper with God. Amen. But when it becomes a money-making enterprise rather than a spiritual thing, Jesus gets upset. So is your Christian walk more about your money, more about the commercialism of Christianity? Or is it a surrender? Is it a spiritual thing? Are you surrendering all to Jesus this morning? Yes, thank you, Lord. Or would Jesus overturn the tables in here? When you look back in scripture, Jesus quoted Jeremiah 7:11. In that it said, God put this in the words. He says, as this house, which is called by my name, become a den of thieves in your eyes, behold, I, even I, have seen it, says the Lord. So this is what Jesus is talking about. The appearance of the services is not as much for, to provide the people with what they need so they can carry on and make it nice sacrifice unto God during Passover, get their money changed at a fair rate so they can do what they need to do at the temple. I mean, you don't hear them talking about lambs, bulls, or any other animals. They talk about doves, the cheapest of all. So now the people have taken what was a regular sacrifice and cheapened it all the way down to a dove. You just buy the cheapest little thing that's going to get you by. Just like those Christians that just want to get into heaven. They want to make it into heaven by the skin of their teeth. Rather than get in there and Jesus say, oh, I'm so glad you're here. Here are many crowns for you. For all the work you did for the kingdom. Because that's what you're here for. Is to work for the kingdom. 
The cleansing of a temple was just an indictment of empty religious activity. Meaningless religious activity. You know the ones, the people that go and they sit in church and they sing a few songs and they walk home and nothing changes in their lives. If Jesus isn't touching your life and nothing has changed, are you really saved? Are you? You know, he wants the house to be a house of prayer. But sometimes they've turned it in in modern Christianity and this Western culture has turned it into a get in, get out. I was listening to the John Kilpatrick the other day and he was talking about how does the church service get the Holy Spirit to move when you're hustling people in and out in an hour? You come in, you sing a few songs, you make a few announcements, you give a little inspirational talk and out the door, bring in the next set. Where is God in that? How can his spirit move? God loves all of you. He loves all of us. He sacrificed his son for each and every one of you. He deserves our worship from our heart. You know, this wasn't the first time Jesus did this. If you read John chapter 2, right after he changed the water into wine, again, he goes to the temple and he overturns the tables of the money changers and those giving sacrifice. But this time he makes a whip in John chapter 2 and he chases them out with a whip. He doesn't like fake worship. He doesn't like fake sacrifices. He wants your heart. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my heart. I surrender all to you. There's people <clears throat> surrendering it all. Tough thing to do. Totally goes against nature. We human beings, we think we're smarter than anybody. But God says no. In Malachi 1.80 says, and when you offer a blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? When you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? What God's talking about there in Malachi is you're giving a cheap offering, you're giving a cheap sacrifice. You're giving cheap worship. Would you give it to the governor? Well, the governor in our case would be the IRS. You can't cheat the IRS to throw you in jail. So no, you wouldn't. So when you come into the house of God, Jesus wants you to worship. He wants you to surrender your heart. He wants you to pour out your love, just as he poured out his love for us. Just to remind you, in Mosaic law, it is a violation, a direct violation of the law to bring in 
blind, disfigured, sick, or any other kind of animal into a sacrifice. Because this is a holy thing. This is the time that we get to get together in fellowship with the Holy Spirit, in fellowship with each other, and just let the love of God flow through the room. We need to worship him with everything. If you want to look it up and read more about it, go to Malachi 1. Read verses 6 through 14. You'll see what actions God took. But today in church, we risk the same sins as they did in those days by cheapening our worship, by cheapening our offerings, by cheapening the time we give to God. I mean, Jesus said, I want this to be a house of prayer. That doesn't mean he wants you to come in here and pray all the time. No, he wants you to have a relationship with him. Pray in your room, pray in your car. Just spend time with Jesus. He wants your heart. He wants to love on you. He wants to pour it out on you. He tells us it is by faith that we are saved in Ephesians. Not by anything that we've done, but by what Jesus has done for us. And God expects a full commitment from us. He wants us fully committed to him an extremely difficult thing. It is not easy. Because God wants your time. When it's time to come into God's house, he doesn't want you down on the beach partying. He wants you in his house. When it's time to take up the offering, God wants you to give it with a cheerful heart, Amen. according to scripture. God just wants you to give to him what he feels he's given to you. He has created a beautiful earth. He's giving each and every one of you the air you're breathing right now. And he can stop it whenever he feels like it. But he gives it to you. Ephesians 2 tells us that we are the workmanship created in Christ. How wonderful is that? We are the workmanship created in Christ. It's like Jesus gets up and designs you every day. He makes you new. He makes everything new every morning when you wake up. He gives you all you need to go through. Every decision that you have to make is up to you how you make it. What you say to Jesus, what decisions you make. Don't go to the Lord blemished. Go to the Lord clean. Go to the Lord clean. God makes forgiveness available to us. He tells us we've got to forgive our neighbors and those that have sinned against us seven times 70. That's a lot of forgiveness, folks. Seven times 70? 
I know, some of you are counting right now. <laughs> oh, I forgave her 392 times. I only got 80 something more to go, and I'm done. It's <laughs> not what Jesus meant. Jesus turned over the tables because the worship was cheap. The worship was mechanical. The worship just wasn't there. So the question becomes, are you sitting at that table? John 4, 23 says, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For their Father is seeking such to worship him. God is a spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Genuine worship. Pour it out on him. We have a church that does that. But do it all the time, not when, just when you're here on Sunday. Do it tonight. Do it tomorrow morning when you get up. Do it when you're driving down the road. Just constantly worship him because he deserves it. This is what he's looking for. He's looking for that 24-7, 365 commitment out of you. Not just the Sunday morning. He wants it all. Worship is a wonderment. I mean, Isaiah, when he got into the presence of God, he was just awestruck. The majesty and the holiness of God just left him in complete awe. Have you had that kind of encounter with the Holy Spirit where it has just left you there and said, oh, oh you know, God just poured it out on me. Worship is transformational. Worship will change the way you act, the way you live, the way you move, the decisions you make. You don't have to be a singer up here to be a worshiper. No. You're all worshipers. You're all called to worship. You're all made in the image of God. He just wants you to surrender so he can transform you into that image. God and worship is always renewing. Worship will always take you back. Even if you step aside, even if you have that moment where we fall short the glory of God, yep. which everyone does, yep. worship will bring you right back. Yeah. Because God is always there to forgive you and move you there. Yeah. Just a constant thing. Yeah. Worship is decentering. It will take you out of your center. It becomes your center. It'll take away the center of worldliness. Some are stuck in the world. Some of you, I'm afraid, are gonna be like Sarah and just turn into a pillar of salt. We'll come in one day and we'll say, hey, where's so-and-so? Eh, it's a pillar of salt down the middle of Wiles Road there. That's them. rid of the world. We are to live in it 
but not be part of it. Amen. We're to be different. We're to be what Peter says, those peculiar people. Oh, look at that strange Christian. What weirdos. Peculiar. Worshippers have different kinds of qualities. They're fully committed. They're loyal. They have no reservations. They want to satisfy God. There is no hypocrisy. There is zero religious acts in a true worshiper. It's all about the relationship with Jesus. So important is that relationship. So important is the time that we get to spend with God. So important. A true worshiper lives to please God. You need to live your life to please God. Not to please this, not to please that, not to please your friend, not to please your neighbor. Most of all, not to please yourself. You have to surrender to self. I mean, cell phones did a great thing. They did a horrible thing with selfies. Because <laughs> then it becomes all about you. You want your picture here, you want this there, you want that there. Look at me, look at me, look at me. And God is saying, no, look at me. Amen. I am the one. I am. He says, look at me. So we always want to please God. We want to live every day, every moment of every day to please God. Lord, is what I'm doing pleasing you? And if you hear this big fat no, change. That's all. Scripture tells us if we change from our wicked ways, God will hear us. Amen. He will heal, heal our land. That's right. He will restore us. You have nothing to worry about. You have no reason to think that God is going to take anything away from you. He just wants to give you more. The more you have of him, the more he has of you. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 12 that acceptable worship is this. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and with awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. Jesus tells us that a life of worship is focused and characterized by prayer. Prayer is something that is hard for a lot of you. Because you sit down to pray and all of a sudden, these things start rolling around in your head and in your mind. Uh, did I leave the oven on? Oh, did I forget to do this? Oh, let me write down, I gotta do this tomorrow. No, I mean, it's hard. But you gotta learn how to fight through that. Because spending time with God in prayer 
It's going to be the best thing that you could ever do. The relationship that you can develop with God, you'll learn to recognize his voice. You'll learn to use him almost with every decision you make. God, what should I do here? God, how should I handle this? And God will speak to you as you develop that relationship. Because if you don't develop a relationship with Jesus, and that time comes when you're going to die, and unfortunately we're all going to do that, and you get there in front of Jesus, and he says, get away from me, I don't know you. Nobody wants to hear those words. But at least 80% of people that attend church are going to hear those words. Get away from me. I don't know you. Don't be that. Develop the time, the relationship. God is holy. God is holy. We must be holy. What did Jesus say? Peter goes this way in the Garden of Gethsemane. Keep alert and pray. Otherwise, temptation will overpower you. Keep alert and pray. Otherwise, temptation will overpower you. Now, we've all been tempted by things we shouldn't be tempted by or things we shouldn't do. The devil is always going to tempt you. The closer you get to God, the more the spiritual warfare is going to come. Because the devil doesn't care if you go to church. He doesn't care if you sing a few songs. But when you go and I surrender, Lord, and you go into the surrender mode, then he's got a problem. Because it's someone he's lost. So he's going to attack you. So it said temptation will overpower you. For though the spirit is willing, the body is weak. We've all been weak. We've all fallen short that. But the thing is, it's like Jesus picks us up, dusts us off, and says, go on, next day. Every day is a new day. Every day. I was talking to Pastor Michael. He called me the other day, and we were talking about something. He said, how you doing? And I said to him, Every day above ground is a good day for me. Amen. He said, you know, me too. <laughs> me too. Me too. Lamentations tells us that Jesus, God's blessings are new every morning. It's like every morning you wake up and there's a fresh cup of coffee and a bouquet of flowers and a little note that says, I forgive you. I will guide you. I will protect you. I will supply your needs. <laughs> All this God wants to pour out on you because he loves you so much. Surrender. Surrender. Jesus taught that authentic worship flows from a heart filled with love of God. Were there times in here when we're worshiping, when the worship team's up here, and you can just feel 
the love flow. You can just feel the presence of God as he moves through. It is just awesome. It is just awesome. But carry that out. So it's there on Tuesday night. So it's there on Friday morning. Because that feeling you need to have with you all the time. All the time. You need to carry that with you. Jesus taught on worship, on the Sermon on the Mount. He said that God blesses worshipers. He said that worshipers are the salt and the light of the world. He said worshipers must obey God's commands. This is another area we do battle with. Because we don't always want to obey all the commands of God. God may speak to you one day and say, hey, I want you to do this. And you'll go, no, Lord, no, no, no. Let somebody else do it. Why me? God commands us to do certain things. Do you know what they are? I don't need to go through them. But you need to obey all of his word. Amen. Not just the parts you like. Not just the parts you like. The parts you like is easy. It's the parts you don't like that you've got to obey that's tough. That's the battle. That's the time when you find out if you're a true worshiper. Worshippers have to act like God the Father in heaven because you were made in his image. As I said before, his image. Worshippers are to perform God's deeds, whatever God tells you. Worshippers are givers. Worshippers are prayer warriors. Worshippers forgive, they fast, and they take no shortcuts. Worshippers have learned to watch out for false teachers. And you're beginning to see more and more of that. Look how corrupt our society is getting. Week by week, you see the culture wanting to drift further and further from God, which is going to change the way you're looked at. It's going to change things for a lot of you. You're going to have to learn to adapt and accept what God tells you and not what the world tells you. Mm -hmm. The Lord's Prayer, I found to be a wonderful insight into worship. It shows that it's not only a prayer, but it incorporates some themes of worship. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done as earth on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. 
What a powerful set of words. Our Father, who art in heaven. That's how we worship God, isn't it? We're worshiping the Holy One, the creator of all things. And he's saying to you, you're part of my family. I'm your father. You're my children who I love. So as you get closer and closer to him, you'll learn to recognize his voice. But you have to remember, the enemy is the deceiver. His voice could be very close. You have to learn to discern. You have to understand those things. Jesus taught us about worship by the way he lived his life. He set a very high standard. I mean, he walked the face of the earth and never sinned. Not a one of us can say that. Not even a one-year-old baby can say that. Because a one-year-old, a baby, comes up with his first words. No. (laughs) And honor thy mother and thy father just went out the door. (laughs) It's amazing what an awesome God we serve. It is so powerful. He set such a high standard. But he... Fulfilled the will of the Father. Facing all the temptations that we face. But he was able to do it without sinning. I couldn't do that. He chose to worship God rather than give in to temptation. And I think that's the key that we have to learn. When you begin to get tempted about something, just start worshiping God. And it will take you right away from that. It'll change the whole mindset. As the enemy brings in the temptation, you start singing a little song, saying a little prayer, whatever your little connection thing is, to get you away and start speaking to God. Jesus was totally obedient to God all the way to the cross. Not a lot of us can say that one either. He also observed the service, the Sabbath, and he taught in the synagogue. He meditated on scripture. Such a good thing to do. Find a verse every day, just meditate on it, think about it all day long. They've got all kinds of devotionals you can get online and do that. Isaiah 56, seven says this. Even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their brought offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called the house of prayer for all nations. Wonderful things. This is what God is saying to you. And we have a house of all nations. There's a lot of nations represented here. 
The temple was called the house of God because that's where God chose to make his dwelling place. The potter's house, Coral Springs, is a dwelling place for God. He lives here. This is his house. What he wants, he gets. What his spirit does is what his spirit does and will always flow freely in this place. We will never quench the Holy Spirit. But prayer has become an important part of worship here. And Isaiah 56 looks good. My salvation is close at hand, and my righteousness will soon be revealed. God wants those excluded from his house to know that. That they can all come in. <coughs> they can all come in. Welcome them into his temple, into his house of prayer. So Jesus, he drove out the buyers. He drove out the sellers because they cheapened everything. I don't believe he would drive out anybody in here because we worship God in spirit and truth. Because we worship God with all that we have. We surrender our hearts to him. That's so important. Just surrender yourselves unto the Lord. Surrender yourself unto the Lord. The Lord's invitation to salvation opens up a way for every person of every nation to have a personal relationship with Jesus. He excludes no one. But prayer is a significant part of that. That's how you talk to God. That's how he talks to you. I mean, some of us pray all the time and all we do is talk. But you need to sit there and listen. How's he going to answer you? You know, in the famous words of Judge Judy, God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. You do twice as much listening as you do talking. So God's house is a house of prayer. And Hebrews 4.16 tells us this. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in our time of need. In Isaiah, he says, Come to me, all you that are weary and burdened. Come to me, all you that are weary and burdened. Come all who are thirsty. Jesus cried out those words. Come to me, all you that are burdened. We humans, we're needy people. We are very needy people. We are needy, needy people. We are made acceptable to God, though, through the sacrifice of his son. Therefore, he is also able to save the uttermost of those who come to God through him. And by the uttermost, I mean those that believe we're on the edge of God can't do anything for us. We're totally destroyed. We're human beings. God says no. 
I can save the uttermost of you. And since we always make intercession, he, Jesus makes intercession for each and every one of us. Jesus knows each and every one of your needs, each and every one of your wants, each and every one of your temptations. And he says, come to me, all ye that are burdened and heavy laden. Come to me, all that are burdened and heavy laden. Let's stand. So I say the 